Hey, everyone. I'm glad you could join me today. Um, yesterday, I had the privilege of meeting Ryan Broughton. He is the uh, lead park ranger at the Dewey Short Visitor Center. He is the uh, natural resource specialist there and uh, just an awesome person to talk to, very knowledgeable about um, the lake, the dam, and all points in between. Uh, very knowledgeable of, of all of that and, and just was a pleasure to visit with. Uh, we took a tour, uh, went through uh, during normal business hours, so you'll be able to listen to the people in the background uh, enjoying themselves there. They get tons of visitors every year. It's totally free, and uh, it's it's just a real treat. I've been by there several times over the years and, and always thought to myself, you know, I'd like to stop in and just kind of check that out and see what it's all about. But uh, yesterday I had the opportunity to do it, and today you get to listen to Ryan Broughton from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So stick around. Welcome to Visit Table Rock, the official podcast of Table Rock Lake, with your host, Mark Newsom. Today, my guest is Ryan Broughton. Yes, and uh, you are the lead park ranger. Lead park ranger, natural resource specialist is okay. is what we call ourselves, uh, but in parentheses it says park ranger. So well, you, tell me tell me a little about yourself and where you came from and and where you are today with all of this. Yeah, so when I went to college, I went to Oregon State University and was pursuing a, a teaching degree. I wanted to be a math teacher and found out I didn't want to be a math teacher. I didn't want to take more math. Right. <laughs> After I got a D and an F in math, I was like, time to change careers. <laughs> so I, uh, I went, um, I found earth science and I found out you could play with rocks and go on field trips and stuff. And so I wanted to be an earth science teacher. Uh, but then, you know, I didn't want to go to school to get a master's for teaching. And then an advisor told me, hey, you know, you could be a park ranger. I'm like a park ranger. I don't want to go out in the woods and cut down trees or something like that. Like, I think most people envision Smokey the Bear, you know, right. uh, or Smokey Bear when, when they go out. Um, but and then which which is what kind of I had the vision of. And he's like, no. A park ranger, um, they uh, they go out there and, and interact with the public, but then they do education too. So it's kind of like teaching, but in a park setting. And uh, I, I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. So yeah. I uh, I looked into it and uh, kind of started applying to state parks. I had over 80 applications in for state parks and got denied and denied. Because, uh, you know, after college, you think you're entitled to some permanent job, um, but you don't realize you got to kind of start as a seasonal mm -hmm. if you want to get into the parks. The well, I heard it's tough to get in. Yeah, permanent jobs are very hard to come by. And so um, I ended up taking an internship with the Bureau of Land Management at a lighthouse that had, um, they did tours of the lighthouse. They had tide pools 
and uh, a very cool. center. Yeah. And so I was in the tide pools every day talking about sea stars and anemones. And then I dressed up in costume and, and gave um, historical uh, tours of the lighthouse to people and just fell in love with that side of park rangers. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I pursued after that. Um, and then I, I got on with uh, the Corps of Engineers at Bonneville Lock and Dam in, in Oregon and Washington on the Columbia River. Mm-hmm. And uh, got a temporary job there, and then I became a student to kind of get my foot in the door, and then finally became permanent. So it took me about three years or so uh, uh, to become permanent uh, with the Corps. And so I was at Bonneville for seven years, and then uh, people were saying, you got to get more experience. And then an opportunity came up in Washington, D.C. at headquarters. They rotate rangers every year to mm-hmm. D.C. to kind of experience what it's like for policy making and, and meetings with other agencies. So I did that for six months, and then that got me into thinking of moving. So then I moved to California to a dam there, and then um, after that, I, the California lake I was at, called Inglebright Lake, uh, was all boat-in camping. So you couldn't drive an RV or anything to that lake. Um, really? Yeah, it was all boat in. So you you haul all your camping gear onto the boat, and then go pick your site and moor, and then hop out, <laughs> unload your camping gear, and it's primitive camping, so no showers or flush wow. toilets. It was just a vault toilet there, uh-huh. um, a small lake. <laughs> you know, it had twenty. It had uh, 24 miles of shoreline compared to Table Rock. Yeah, considerably <laughs> smaller. Yeah. Quite a bit smaller. And uh, so because it was boat in, I got to boat every day as patrols of the, of the lake and, you know, checking in campers and stuff. It wasn't reservable. It was all first come, first serve. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, but working late at night, um, you know, was tough. So then yeah. all of a sudden this opportunity came to manage the Dewey Short Visitor Center here at Table Rock Lake. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, it's a beautiful facility. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was like, you know, I never thought I'd move to Missouri. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's the nice thing about working for a federal agency is we have 400 lakes around the country. Yeah. So if you want to, there's opportunities to move around. They don't make you, but if you want to go somewhere and try it out, and that's kind of how you go up the ladder, too. Mm-hmm. So I went from, you know... Uh, temporary to a to a student to a entry level to kind of the the, the medium level and now I'm kind of, I'm in a management uh, position. Well, it's it's there. funny. So you, yeah. so you you went to college in in Oregon and that's where you first got some of your taste of doing the kind of work you're doing now. Yeah. And then moved to Missouri. My daughter and her family lives in Portland, Oregon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and they just bought a cabin at, at the foot of Mount Hood around okay. Sandy. You know, yeah, rhododendron. I think. Yeah, the, the address there. Uh, but the very first time she came to our house on Table Rock Lake, it was before she got married, uh-huh. and she went out on the back deck and she goes, "Man, this is nice." This is really nice, and it is. You know, and a lot of people just don't think about what it's yeah. like to be at Table Rock until they get here. Yes. First-time visitors are always blown away. It's like this. It's such a pretty lake and everything. For so, sure. Yeah. I've been at Table Rock for two years. I've been with the Corps for 11. Okay. And what are your responsibilities here? I'm the site manager of the Dewey Short Visitor Center, so... All the operations that happens out of this center. It's a very busy center. Uh, it's it's called a Class A or Type A Regional Visitor Center. Okay. 
And what that means is just the Corps of Engineers classifies their, their visitor centers um, as an A, B, or C. And an A means it's a regional visitor center, so it talks about a region and not just one lake specifically. So when you go through the exhibits here, it talks about the entire White River watershed, not just Table Rock. Table Rock, Taney, Bull Shoals, Beaver, all of that. Yeah, yeah North Fork, uh-huh. uh, Clearwater, all those are part of the White River watershed. Yeah. So we talk about all of those. So there's only 15 Class A visitor centers in the country for the Corps. Wow. And this one is number four for most visited. Huh. We get about 185,000 visitors a year. Wow. So very busy. I looked at the numbers last month in June. We had 10,000, which was probably a little lower than than what we've had in the past because uh, of COVID. But uh, but um, you know, I think numbers will be picking up here. But it's a very busy visitor center. Yeah. So managing the people that come through and and talking with them and educating them about the lake and telling them why it's important, why we're here. Uh, doing ranger talks out there. We have school groups that come in during the school season. We have a science lab to do science experiments with wow. the students when they come. Yeah. Uh, you know, a big thing for us is water safety. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of water safety programs and importance of wearing life jackets. Go to schools. We have Bobber, the water safety dog, who mm-hmm. goes with us sometimes and <laughs> awesome. talks to the kids about wearing their life jacket and the importance of that. And and uh, you know water rescue as mm-hmm. well when they go out there so and that's made an impact when when the Corps started doing a water safety program we actually saw a reduction in fatalities yeah. on the lakes it was pretty dramatic about half yeah. what it was prior to the 1970s so yeah. so yeah um, and then we have volunteers that come here and, and work our front desk they're uh, full-time RVers so they're most of them are homeless you know yeah. they, they uh, <laughs> in a different way yeah, yeah they retired and sold their house and they live full-time in an RV mm-hmm. and they travel around the country and go to different parks and work in their centers and, and you know answer questions of people that come in and and help us out a whole lot so folks listening who haven't been here maybe haven't even been to table rock lake yet can you tell people where this visitor center is located physically yeah we're located right next to the dam on the south side and uh, it's on 165 so you cross over the dam and then we're right there it's a big building with glass windows you can't miss it uh, it's the architecture is really cool. I think it's it, it is catches your attention when you're driving by. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. yeah. They had a an old visitor center here, um, and then they got funding through uh, actually through the stimulus uh, funds during President Obama. The, the stimulus package they they had some funding available for projects. So they were going to remodel the old visitor center, and then they kept getting bigger and bigger and then they said well let's just build a new one so they they built a new one so uh this is the newest visitor center in the corps of engineers in the entire country Mm -hmm. awesome and i guess what also contributes to the the growing number of visitors is the fact that you're right in branson missouri's backyard oh yeah we get a a lot of people that you know stop here first as they're heading into town and figuring out what to do where to go uh, a lot of people see it and say, you know, i got to go to the restroom. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question we get. Where's the restroom? <laughs> and then the other question we get is, uh, where do we get tickets for the Branson Bell? They think that, they think that we're the Branson Bell. Here, or they think we're the state park, which a lot of people get that confused. Which is just down the road. Like, well, 
in yeah. this state park? No, we're federal. We're underneath the Department of Army. We're the Army Corps of Engineers. So when we first pulled up, we came through uh, the the turn here right in front of the building, and then went out to the parking lot. And my wife noticed that there's folks coming up from the lake in swimming suits. So is there a dock down there? Are people swim down there? Or well, you can swim anywhere around the shoreline of the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have designated swim areas at our at our recreation most of our recreation areas like Moonshine Beach. Mm-hmm. Moonshine Beach, of course, is the only sand beach, so everybody wants to go there right. and their yeah. brother. Well, yeah, <laughs> especially on the holiday weekends, it's it, it's it just gets so packed over there. Um, but yeah, anywhere they can swim, so they can come out here and swim. Uh, there's no cost. Uh, you know, it's not designated or anything, so it's all at your own risk. Can people camp on some of the islands on this lake? No, it, it, no, there's no uh, no dispersed camping uh, around that's allowed. That'd be uh-huh. illegal. You so know, you can't so. even camp on a shoreline, really. No, you, you'd have to be in a designated area. So we have we have twelve campgrounds and eight hundred campsites. About you know, um, I think it's around seven fifty to eight hundred somewhere in that. Yeah, I did range. a podcast uh, on on the the. Army Corps of Engineers campgrounds yeah. as, a, as a really good option because uh, we live in Kimberling City and, and the one over there by Mill Creek is, you know, Mill Creek is a phenomenal campground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did some major improvements uh, from that flood that we had, you know, a few years back. Yeah. Uh, it, it got into that, but it also gave them an opportunity to, to, to redesign that or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's got that peninsula that goes out there, and I thought, you know, we, we have an RV, and sometime, someday before we sell our RV, we're going to reserve a spot out on that peninsula. I think that'd just be awesome, you know. Yeah. It's, it's pretty there. So. Yeah. Visitors love Corps of Engineers campgrounds all around the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come, and they're... They're always wanting to know, you know, where else can I go with the core? One thing is all of our campgrounds are usually at a lake somewhere. Yes. So you get the scenery of a lake and boating activities and fishing activities. But we, we maintain our campgrounds very well. And like I said, there's 400 around the country. If you go to corelakes.us, actually, it's got a, a list of all the different ones around the U.S. that That's you can go to. helpful to know, too. Mm-hmm. So back to the visitor center. When people come here, is it kind of a is it self guided, or do you have people here that will actually take folks on a tour through the building? Or yeah, it's all self guided. We've got three stories of exhibits and two observation decks. The top floor observation deck, you can see great scenic views of the lake, the dam, and then you can see Lake Tanicomo actually from up there too. Yeah. So uh, and then. Um, as you go through the building, it's got a lot of hands-on touchscreen computers uh, that are kind of starting to show their age a little bit, but, but they're really good interactive displays. We just recently, uh, I worked with an Eagle Scout from the area to build a augmented reality sandbox, cool. which is out there. And uh, what it does, it was invented by UC Davis uh, through an education grant. And then after they, they wanted to have a hands-on model to demonstrate watersheds and the dynamics of water flow and topography. So they built this, uh, this computer model that basically uses a 3D camera and looks at the sand. And as you move the sand around, it projects a topographic map onto the sand and that topographic map 
changes yeah. as you move the sand. And you can digitally make it rain with your hand over the model and see how the water would digitally flow cool. over that topographic map. That's, um, that's pretty awesome. It's really neat. And what's even cooler is UC Davis made it free. Nice. So they, ma that. they made it. They made it open source. The program. Mm -hmm. Put it. Made a website. So you download an app to your smartphone well, and, and you, use the no, camera. No, you just. Um, you have to kind of code the computer. Use an old computer is what mm -hmm. you use. Um, it has to have kind of a good graphics card, but and it run on, runs off Linux. But you mm -hmm. um, you download it from and it, it just automatically downloads everything. They give you step by step directions. Um, so you just need a computer, a 3D camera, which is a, an Xbox 360 Connect camera is what they <laughs> use for that, and then a projector, huh. and uh, and then you just need the sandbox and, and sand. So like I said, an Eagle Scout, he built the box. He actually went to Lowe's who donated all the material uh, <laughs> as part of his fundraising for mm -hmm. it. And uh, and we have we have that working now, and people love it, both uh, adults and children oh, as well cool. in fact there's you play with it as soon as it's open because if it's if it's not it's usually kids all the way around it playing with it and, you know maybe they're not fully grasping what it what it is but later in life when they see a a topo map and see those those squiggly lines all around the piece of paper that tells them elevation right um they might not contour know what that is but they're like hey i remember seeing that and playing with that when I was a kid at the New Shore Visitor Center That's right. and, That's right. and hopefully they'll you know, know that. So we use that model to explain you know the dynamics of the water flowing through the Ozarks mm -hmm. and then why we built the dams to help with the, the flooding of the area. Well, speaking of that you know that's that's a topic that comes up a lot and I've, I've heard it I, I have a, a fairly good understanding of why things are the way they are but a lot of folks don't, and there's a lot of people that come to the area thinking that this lake was built for recreational purposes, and that's not its original intent. It, it is used for recreation. But can you tell us a little more about um, the reasons why this lake was built, you know, for flood control and the White River Basin and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, and maybe even go into the, the topic of, of why sometimes the water gets up to a certain height or level, I mean, uh, and, and is it released? I think a lot of people have trouble wrapping their mind around why things happen the way they do when there's a lot of rainfall in, in, a, in a given season. So Yeah. Well, the, the Corps of Engineers, we've actually been involved with the White River and the area since the 1840s. They originally came out here and they had plans to develop locks and a series of locks and dams all the way to Forsyth, Missouri, mm -hmm. uh, for river navigation. Uh, however, the the river commerce couldn't compete with the railroad, so that got that idea got scrapped. They ended up building three locks and dams uh, at first, but then they decided not to build anymore. And then uh, for a time period, everything kind of slowed down in the region. The, the Little Rock District in Arkansas actually closed for a period of time, moved locations. And then as time went on, other agencies began building dams. So you had the Forest Service building dams, you had the Bureau of Reclamation building dams. All these people were building dams. We started you know, having power in the, in the turn of the 20th century. 
And uh, so now we had hydropower was an option, a very clean way to make electricity. Mm -hmm. And so they started building dams with the Corps of Engineers. We still weren't authorized to build dams if it didn't have some kind of navigation component. So it had to have a lock or had to have some kind of impact on navigation to make a deeper pool for the boats uh, to, to navigate up and down the river. So we weren't allowed to build any of those dams for a number of years. And then flooding started occurring uh, nationwide. And in the past, flooding was kind of looked at as a regional problem. So they would go and, and build a small dam to help or some levees uh, uh, or dikes to, to help slow the, the flooding going downstream. But they realized after some major floods at the early 20th century, especially 1927, which wreaked havoc on the Mississippi and this region, mm -hmm. um, that flooding was a national problem. So Congress said, okay, who's going to manage our flooding? Well, let's give it to our engineers. So let's give it to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They, they've been helping us for a long time. We build a lot of the infrastructure for the country. Most of the federal buildings, the, the military bases built by the Corps of Engineers, the monuments in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Capitol. My the, dad always <laughs> said that the Army Corps of Engineers was probably the strongest arm of the government, if the truth be known. So. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he meant that in a positive <laughs> way, but yeah. yeah. So um, our, our motto is essayons, which means let us try. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if, when all others fail, let the Corps of Engineers try. They're going to... They're going to take care of it, is, is the idea behind that. So flooding was a problem, especially in this region. Uh, Hollister, you see old pictures of Hollister. It was, it was flooded, the buildings halfway up with the, with the water from uh, Tanicomo. Because Lake Tanicomo was the, the first lake in the region. In 1917, Ozark Beach Dam was, was built to impound that waterway. Um, but you know, it was and it that's was for, in Forsyth, the dam, uh, yeah. About it's Power Site, uh -huh. is a little town of Power Site, and that's why they call it also called Power Site Dam. But mm -hmm. its technical name is Ozark Beach Dam, okay. Um, so you know, that was that was already here, it was a resort area, warm water, uh, in Tanny Combe, Rockaway Beach, yeah, all, all that, that stuff, stuff. <laughs> uh, the resorts around. Uh, but then, like I said, those floodings were a problem, and they, Congress realized, you know, it's, it's a national problem. It can't be solved regionally. Corps of Engineers, you're responsible now for, for managing these floods. So they, they passed some flood control acts uh, to, to mitigate those impacts of the flooding. And um, there was a, a study done, the Corps of Engineers, after we got authorization to manage floods, they went around the whole United States and looked at all the watersheds and figured out where the best places would be to build dams to reduce the impacts of floods. Uh, and some of those got built right away, but during that time period, it was the 40s. So World War II was going on. And so the projects that got priority were the ones that were big power producers or are really going to help the war effort. Right. Uh, so uh, those dams kind of got built first. You had your Bonneville Dam in Oregon, which had power lines going directly to aluminum plants for for airplanes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and all that. And even so, the White River was had potential for flood management, but also because of the drop in elevation, it had big potential for hydropower as well. 
Um, just it didn't make as much uh, and didn't to Congress it didn't make sense to authorize those right away uh, or fund them right away. They, we, we were authorized uh, but but weren't funded. So so anyway, uh, they studied the region, figured out the dams would work here, and then Congressman Dewey Short and some other um, political people advocated for the dams. But Dewey Short, you know, kind of led a lot of the effort. And uh, he, for 20 years, because he grew up in this area, he advocated for 20 years to build Table Rock and some of the other dams in the watershed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so anyway, he, he, um, he finally got it pushed through and uh, they authorized in 1941 to build the dam. But like I said, World War II kind of pushed us back in priority. Uh, and then we finally got funding and they started constructing the dam. So really it was to reduce the impacts of flooding downstream. Uh, you think of you know flooding in the region, yeah, Hollister and stuff like that, but downstream in Arkansas, near Newport, Arkansas, it's all farmland down yeah. there. So all that farmland is flat. <laughs> we're up here in the Ozarks, we're all hilly and, and steep. Um, so we can hold that water back in this area and prevent it from flooding all those farm farms yeah. downstream. So that was the, the intent of the dam. Also, bonus, we're gonna be able to make hydropower out of that. So we make about 200 megawatts of power, uh, which is about 40,000 homes of electricity that they can power. So is that uh, exclusive to the Branson area or does it go any further than this area? No, so, so we built the dams and, and around that time period, uh, they also, uh, created a national grid system too uh, mm -hmm. to distribute the power from the federal dams that were being built so that's when you had tennessee valley authority that came about and then in this region it's called the southwest power administration so they're underneath the department of energy so they are the marketing agency that takes the power from all the federal dams markets it and sells it to uh, utilities and customers throughout the region. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as where power goes, it's really hard to determine that because it travels the speed of light, so it's kind of hard <laughs> to figure out where, yeah. where that electron is flowing. Mm -hmm. um, and everything just gets dumped into a big bucket, which is the grid. So mm -hmm. if you're dumping water into a bucket, it all mixes together. Yeah. So all of our power mixes together. And then it's um, the Southwest Power Administration, or SWAPA. It's their job to, to distribute that power. And so they're looking at the whole grid, which is Kansas, Arkansas, Missouri, Louisiana, parts of Oklahoma, Texas. Mm -hmm. They cover that whole area. And then they have cu customers that they sell that power directly to. And then uh, that mainly that's you know cities and public utilities mm -hmm. and some private utilities as well will buy power from that, and then they have their own power lines that they distribute to us, the customer in our homes, in our residences. Okay. So so they recoup their costs for their man manpower and their uh, their lines, and then they buy power from the grid. Mm -hmm. So the federal power is very very cheap 
and especially with hydropower. It's, it doesn't cost a lot to make hydropower. Mm -hmm. So it, you're, we're talking cents mm -hmm. per kilowatt hour for electricity. So, mm -hmm. And then the utility company has to bump that up to cover their costs. So if you look at your power bill at home, you can see how much you're paying per kilowatt hour. Right. And a lot of that is, is coming from these federal dams in the region. And that's why it's so, uh, so much cheaper is because of these, these dams that are providing this, this cheap hydropower to the region, which is also clean. Mm -hmm. you no, know, we're not burning fossil fuels. We don't have smokestacks on the dam. Yeah. It's a very clean energy very source clean. too, as long as it keeps raining, which yeah. I think it will in the Ozarks. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, speaking <laughs> going back to the rain and all that, yeah. um, I something I've always been interested in. Maybe you can explain it to me uh, because I'm just assuming here. But the White River watershed, yes, I always call it the White River Basin. I guess the same thing, basically. Mm -hmm. So that is massive. I mean, that's massive. It goes way up by Springfield or past Springfield maybe and yes. you know, all the way down to Arkansas and all that Kansas Oklahoma oh, wow yeah those those rivers those inlets are coming in to us here and uh, Table Rock you know not only do you have the White River watershed but you have the watershed of each of the dams that were built okay uh, and how so much like area Grand, they drain Grand River Dam Authority and all that uh, does that all go into ours eventually or well uh, Table Rock is actually got the largest drainage area of all of the lakes in the White River watershed. Wow. So the James River from Springfield is coming down into Table Rock. So when you get five inches of rain in Springfield, how does that impact our lake here? Yeah, it's going gonna, gonna to come down. And uh, so we, we drain about two and a half times more area than, than Beaver Lake wow. and uh, about 50% more area than Bull Shoals. So mm -hmm. we have the, the largest drainage, drainage area, uh, but Table Rock has, you know, you've got your pool of water back behind the dam and we've got one, we've got different elevations and the, the one elevation is called the conservation pool. Or in other words, that's where we like to keep the lake level at a minimum mm -hmm. for hydropower because you need certain amount of drop to turn the turbines to make electricity. So we can only draw down the lake so far to our conservation pool. Mm -hmm. Above the conservation pool, you have the flood pool. So that's how much water we can store for flood for flood situations. And for here at Table Rock, it's about 16 feet. Depending on the season, it's 14 to 16 feet of water that we can store, mm -hmm. which you know doesn't really sound like that that much, but Table Rock is massive. Yeah. Uh, if you drove around the shoreline or walked around the shoreline of Table Rock, 750 miles of shoreline, mm -hmm. about. Yeah. So that's like from here to Florida. Yeah. For comparison. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so if you think of 750 miles of shoreline and 16 feet, that's a, that's a lot of water that we can mm -hmm. store. Um, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling yeah. when you think about how many how many gallons. <laughs> well, it's roughly uh, it's it's roughly about nine hundred Empire State buildings of, of water, <laughs> water that we can store uh, in flood flood oh storage. Um, so that is a lot, but we get a lot of rain in the region. Um, we we can store about sixteen feet. Bull Shoals can can store thirty two feet. Of right. water so twice as much water as us and they have a smaller drainage area so um, that's why you know we 
will often fill up both shoals before Table Rock because we can't handle the big influx of water as much as some of the other lakes mm -hmm. in the region. So to get back to your, your question about, you know, say that, say that the rain is, is forecasted to come in the area, we're expecting a big storm to come through here. Uh, a lot of people ask the question, well, you knew this was coming. Why didn't you open up all these gates yep, and send the water down? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, which makes sense uh, uh, to most people that you you would think you would do that. But uh, we can't make our management decisions based on weather forecasts. Yeah. Because, because we all know that the, they're really the, accurate. The, the right? best job in the world would be as a meteorologist because you can just say, "We think this is what's yeah. going to happen," and if it doesn't, you don't lose your job. So, yeah. so uh, for example, and this could be you know a, a real life example. Let's say Table Rock is expected to get ten inches of rain. So if we are pretty much full of water and we're expected to get ten inches of rain, you think, "Well, it makes sense. Let's release that water downstream." Yeah. Well, instead, what happens in real life is that we get one inch of rain instead of 10 inches of rain. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, you got to think it's that whole drainage area, not just over Kimberling City. Right. You know, <laughs> we're looking at the whole drainage and how much the whole drainage is going to get. And it takes time for that water to come to us, too. It's not instant. Mm -hmm. um, so if we only got one inch and we released all that water downstream... Yeah. Bull Shoals is pretty much full at that point, um, and instead, Bull Shoals gets 10 inches of rain, where they weren't expected yeah, to get any. Right. So now we've sent all that water to Bull Shoals. They're full. Mm -hmm. They don't have much options. They've got to do, they're doing emergency releases, let's say, yeah. uh, out of there, um, and they are forced to send all their water downstream. Well, now all those flood, those... Um, Farmlands that we talked about—they're mm -hmm. all flooded and wiped out. Yeah, right. So now you got FEMA coming in. Who's gonna? Well, you know, no, there's <laughs> not there's not enough food to stock the shelves. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like so, it's so. A, so we operate all these dams based off of the White River Water Control Plan, mm -hmm. which is um, we've got engineers that that sit down and develop this plan. They send it through Congress, who approves it. So it literally takes an act of Congress to change this this plan, mm -hmm. and uh, it's based on the time of the year, the season, uh, you know, those pool levels that we have. Uh, but we don't make changes to our operations until water hits the ground, gets into the lake, and we can measure it. Mm -hmm. Once we can measure it, then we know what's going up. And we can make decisions. Uh, but like I said, we can hold 16 feet. So they, they will hold back that water until they see what's happening downstream. So it's logistics, really. Yes. Figuring out where everything's going. See, I always thought yeah. logistics would be the most stressful job <laughs> to ever have because of that. Yeah. You know, trying to figure out, you know, when you can do this and when you can do that and where it has to go and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and I know it's got to be a, a very difficult job. It just yes. has to be. You know, and it's not just math, you know, either. Yeah. yeah. Regardless if you got a D or an A in math, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not, it's a lot of assumptions mm -hmm. and things and, and, and maybe looking at uh, history mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't know if they have a farmer's almanac, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
you know, yeah, it's got to be a lot to keep up with. And we can't just think about our own bubble. We got the Mississippi River that we're dumping into, and what that's happening down down river. So, mm-hmm. and you've got the Arkansas River that dumps into the Mississippi right below the White River. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at all those factors, but mainly we're looking the the big thing we're looking at is the gauge of the river in Newport, Arkansas, mm-hmm. and we can't raise the water level too high because that's where those farmlands mainly are. So we're holding back water until conditions are just right down there that allows us to release it, which is what our plan is telling us. Right. Um, so some of the other things I want to talk to you before we actually, we're going to go out and take a tour. Sure. Because you and I talked about this and we thought it'd be fun to to get some of those uh, ambient sounds from, from the mm-hmm. visitor center yeah. included in on this podcast. Yeah. But um, the the landscape around the shoreline, trees and things like that. I know I've, I've heard a lot of property owners talk about, you know, boy, you get in big trouble with uh, with the Army Corps of Engineers if you go cut down trees and stuff. And people try to be sneaky, and they they'll go out there in in, in the middle of the night or whatever, and, and they'll try to prune trees back so they can get a view of the lake from their house or whatever. Uh, but I'm sure with satellite technology and all that, the 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 core actually looks at things and does comparisons throughout the seasons and all that. Um, so that's a no-no. If it's on if it's on the government take line, I guess is what you call that. Um, the uh, it's a no-no to touch any of that. Uh, but what happens like several years ago when we had a flood and it stayed up pretty high and it killed a lot of trees? Is it are those dead trees left there just to kind of decay on their own or whatever to keep things natural there's you know is that am i making sense i don't know uh you know because you see a lot of trees around the shoreline that were submerged enough during a a long enough period of time where it killed them Uh, you guys will never go in and have any of that removed right that that all just stays there well, it depends. We've got uh, different area, different zones around the shoreline that we manage for different purposes. Mm-hmm. And it's all allocated for whether it's a limited development area, a restricted development area. Is it an environmental area that we are, mm-hmm. we've set aside? And, and most of the lake, about 70% of the lake is set up for environmental protection out there. Uh, and so it, it depends on the zone that it's at and you know the conditions and they they do go around and look at it but like i was saying earlier 750 miles of shoreline that our rangers have to police go around (laughs) and patrol police but also you know protect and and make sure you know even though that tree is dead it's still its roots are still there holding the shoreline and preventing erosion that's i guess what you know what my point was is, is that yeah if you were to remove that and go out with a stump grinder and things like that, like you would do in your own yard, backyard, or something like that. That those tree roots are keeping the the, the rocks and the soil and everything intact. So yes. it's probably better to let them just t- let nature take care of it yeah. on its own. Um, you know, because you see that a lot. But I grew up pretty much on Lake Those Arcs. My mm-hmm. parents bought property back there back in the fifties. And then as a kid growing up, we went from, we lived in Kansas City and went down there to, uh, you know, boat and water ski and all that every single weekend from Memorial Day to Labor Day weekend. Uh, but 
What I like most, I think, about Table Rock is that it is pristine. The water quality here is, is great. Uh, and because it's a core lake, uh, I think maybe a lot of people don't realize the fact that we have these beautiful shorelines because it's a core lake. Lake Ozarks isn't. And I can remember when my mom and dad built their, their first little cabin, they, dad used 55 gallon drums for a septic tank. Mm -hmm. And those drums were in the ground about 40 feet away from the edge of the water. And we all know what happens to steel drums. They rot out and then whatever's inside of them ends up in the lake, you know. Yeah. And we don't have that here, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that a lot of folks don't understand that or maybe not even think about it. But yeah, you know, that's why when it's a beautiful day, the, the water's blue and it's just a, yeah. you know, I, I love it here and I always have. And it's just a, it's in a league of its own when it comes to lakes, I think. Yeah. So, and we have, you know, we have our own forester too down in Little Rock that looks at all these lakes. And I was fascinated. I listened to him talk and, uh, you know, one of the big comments we get from the public is cedar trees and, and removing of the cedar trees because they are an evergreen and block your view out there. But he explained the importance of them and how they are native here. And uh, they actually, because they have leaves all year, or, or leaves all year round, that they soak up a lot of water. Mm -hmm. So they actually uh, do a good job of minimizing the water that flows into the lake and help with flood management. That makes sense. Yeah, and they have berries that provide food. It's a good food source for the migratory birds that mm -hmm. go around here yeah. too. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, you think you want a lake view, but that, those trees are really providing a very good service for the for the environment oh, yeah. and to the quality of the lake. So it does maintain its properly. pristineness and it's cleanliness. It's an ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, do you want to take a stroll around the property here? And, Sure. And, and I'll shut up and just let you kind of tell me about things since I've never been here before. Yeah. I've, I've not been in this facility. So. That sounds good. I'm excited about it. So I'll let you lead the way. Okay. Oh, there's our next movie that's going off right there. Okay. So yeah, this uh, building was constructed in 2012. And like I said, it's the newest visitor center for the Corps of Engineers. We talked about the history and Congressman Dewey Short, uh, who advocated to build the dam. So it's called the Dewey Short Visitor Center for his namesake. Uh, but you come in here, and it, it was designed to be uh, LEED certified, which is uh, environmental uh, concerns uh, taken into consideration when they built the building. So we've got concrete floors uh, to, that help heat the building, regulate the temperature of it, and uh, you don't have the carpet that you have to you know clean up on as much so we've got low flush toilets um, all the lights in the building are energy efficient and come on and off on their own but uh, as far as the exhibits you know they're some of the best exhibits i've seen in the region we come into the center and we've got a, a large map here a mural of the white river watershed and the ozark mountains because uh, you know a lot of our visitors that come here are from out of state and they don't really understand. They said, where's the Ozarks, you know, or <laughs> where do I go to see the Ozarks? And you say, well, you're here, you made it. <laughs> so this, this shows the, the Ozark mountain range really well. And then it shows all the lakes and you can see that they all are part of one big system that is the, the White River watershed. So in here, we've got uh, 
exhibits. Uh, we've got photos of the construction of the dam. We've got that augmented reality sandbox that I talked about. We've got an information desk with brochures and handouts and our volunteers that staff that that uh, will answer any questions that people might have. We've got a theater here that plays a 22-minute film on the history of the White River Watershed and Table Rock Lake. I should watch that sometime. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a little dated, but it's still pretty good. Uh, We've got maps of the lake. Uh, We've got a, a big rock uh, structure here water fountain in the middle of the of the facility here's ranger joe who uh who does uh does a ranger talk here on hydropower and how how that whole system works we've got lots of displays of course the viewing deck you know there's multiple view yeah lots of reasons why people would come to a park or a visitor center and one of it is just reverence they just sit and take in the beauty and the aesthetics of the lake so we've got benches out there for them to sit and take it in and watch the the cars go drive drive by and like i said the dam's right there so you can see the the dam in all of its glory <laughs> so that's this is roped off across there uh well let me let me turn this around a bit we're, we're talking about um the looking out at the dam and there's some buoys that go across that, that, that in a line, and that's to keep boaters, correct, kayakers, yeah. whatever, yep. stand up paddleboarders, whatever, from getting in danger of being pulled into the, the foot of the dam here. It's yeah, a- it's the boat restriction zone, so they just don't like to have boats right up against the dam. Of course, the the intakes to the turbines are about 200 feet below the surface of the water, so, so it makes Tim Cummins so cold. <laughs> yes, <not>. exactly. <laughs> So it's not like you're going to get sucked in uh, into it. And there's screens on the back of the turbines. So we don't want debris or logs going in there. So so there's screens. and then But you can see the, the gates of the spillway back behind there. And there'd be a little bit more flow when those are open uh, mm-hmm. over there. But yeah, and then up the stairs here, we've got an elevator that goes through the building and stairs. All these breathtaking views with the yeah. glass windows that we have. I love this. And an elevator. In case yes. you don't want to do the stairs. <laughs> so how many years has this been here now? 2012, so getting close to 10. Wow, that's hard to believe. So here's the outdoor viewing deck, and from here you can again take in the views of the dam you can see lake tanny como just across the dam there over there and i like these glass panels around the uh yep. the railing here so you got nice. and the, and the little way. kids you yeah. can see the lake real well yes. <laughs> how many acres is included with this you know on the lake itself no, the, the visitor center oh, here. Visitor. i'm not sure i'm not sure you know one of the, one of the issues we do have though is people that jump off the here all the time and and it's become a bad habit of, uh, of the people that come and check us out and the reason why is because it's not not very safe you can see it right now uh, there's a rock sh- a shelf yeah, right there and people don't realize that there's a sh- uh, actually a shelf there that they could hit if they jumped and um, you know there's there's all sorts of junk down there and pipes from construction and stuff of the dam so we uh 
uh, we have signs that say no jumping down there, but it's still a problem every weekend and holiday of people jumping. So we have to go out and educate them. But uh, once I say, you know, I really don't want to call an ambulance today, they kind of say, okay, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, but they they can swim out here. And then nice views of the top of the center from up here too. Oh, yeah. You can see the, the so, water fountain. So yeah. describe that thing hanging from the ceiling over there. What yeah, so it, it's explaining construction of the dam and uh, they they've made a form for the dam called a lift and they would pour concrete. And right where we are is where they would they mix cr concrete here and they had big cables going from across the, the lake. Mm -hmm. uh, from about, you know, towards the chateau over there, the uh -huh. hotel. And they had these cables that would run back and forth and then they would move buckets of concrete and that's a representative representation of a, of a bucket of concrete that they would take. And then the workers would guide it. So that's why we've got a guy up there standing on top of the, uh, the lift mm -hmm. form to guide that bucket of concrete into place uh, to pour it. So it's very similar to how they constructed the dam. Wow. So, uh, you know, each, the dam you think of is just one big thing of concrete, but it's actually individual blocks of concrete uh, put together called monoliths. Each, each block is called a monolith, mm -hmm. and they put all those next to each other, and that allows the dam to move these blocks independent of each other just like you would put lines on concrete in your in your Destroy. driveway yeah. so that you don't have a crack we don't want to have a crack in our dam no. so <laughs> so so that allows them to shift and each generator is on its own its own monolith and that allows it not to crack there as well so so that shows that construction I remember after 9-11, they shut down tours to the dam. Did they ever resume those tours of the dam? No, we, we've, we've shut them down. It's just not set up for tours like your Hoover Dam or your, your Bonneville Dam. Those, those ones have like separate areas for the, for the tourists to go to, where ours, you're walking right next to the buttons that are controlling the generators. <laughs> and, and our security office said, you know, we really don't want to be in that business anymore maybe someday when they redo the, the powerhouse and set it up for visitors yeah. but right now uh it, it's not set well, up having this way. facility i think probably helps with not having that anyway because you can still come here and learn all about it you know? exactly yeah so then we'll head we'll head downstairs and uh check out the other exhibits you can hear all the hustle and bustle and all the all the visitors. Like I said, number four most visited visitor center in the country. Wow. Lots of kids come here and enjoy the activities. As you go down the stairs, we have a display that explains the White River. Uh, so it starts in the city of Boston comes down to as you go down the stairs you go down the river uh -huh. so you come to beaver lake and then you go down more you come to table rock tanny como bull shoals then the buffalo river dumps into the white river then the north fork river dumps in the white river come to uh some cities around here wow. and another confluence uh, where the black river and the white river come together and then newport like i talked about so 
that just explains all that is managing to here the water level that's <laughs> that's right here and you can see the elevation change yeah. we're we're about 915 feet and this is 215 so mm -hmm. in that short distance we walk down the stairs in real life it dropped down 700 feet in elevation you know but then from Newport all the way here to the Mississippi River you know that's only about a hundred foot drop so it'll, it, it dropped 700 feet in the Ozarks and then 100 feet to the Mississippi from from that point because so it's a lot flatter yeah. down there down so it Arkansas. just reinforces that flood management we're, that we're doing uh -huh. down here we've got a great map of the lake on the floor embedded cool. in the uh, concrete displays on the Native Americans that were in this region before, some videos on how the dam works, a display on uh, flooding in the region, uh, showing the pictures of the floods back in 1927 in Hollister. Yeah, see the English in. And we've got a John boat here. And you know, back in those days when you had a flood coming, you'd get your John boat out and load up all the stuff that was most important to you haul it on your john boat and then go to high ground so that's what that's explaining and you know i talk to kids i'm like what would you put on that boat or what what, what might be different today you know we got an old tv here but you might be having your xbox or whatever right. else you think is important <laughs> to throw on there yeah. you know but i guess their tv and their gun was one of their most important oh, yeah. things yeah and, and then after that the wife and kids i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well they can swim yeah uh, so then cross-section of the dam, uh, talking about, you know, the operators, how they turn the generators on and off. Back in the old days with switches, those switches are still there, uh, just in case the computer goes down. We've got backup controls of the switches. We have an actual turbine from uh, the powerhouse that we use, one of our smaller turbines that provides power to the dam. It's called a house unit, and this is a, one of our turbines that we actually used. You can learn what it's like to make electricity by cranking a, your own generator to turn on light bulbs and, and stuff like that. And, you know, you realize you don't want to crank that all day no. to, to charge your phone. It's much easier to use water to make electricity for us. And about you know how you use water and you know how it's so important to all of us and how it's managed and you know everybody wants a piece of the water so yep. talks about how much you use and then uh, uh, natural history museum part is down here where we've got some taxidermy animals from the region on one side and then the other side we've got taxidermied fish uh, down below so you got above water below water the type of fish that you have in the region. Like I said, I'm from Oregon, so seeing a long-nosed gar and a paddlefish was pretty odd to me. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Odd-looking fish to me, but, yeah. You, you uh, more like a sockeye salmon and things like that, right? Yeah, Tucky Chinook, and, yeah. and we have rainbow trout, and, and kokanee, which is a landlocked sockeye salmon, is a kokanee. Huh. But uh, yeah, display on the hatchery, and then uh, displays on the Corps of Engineers and all the people in the in the Little Rock district who help maintain these dams in the region. Not just Table Rock, but takes a whole 
whole team. We have about 730 employees in, in the district with 60 of them here at Table Rock, 60 employees. So a lot of those are operating the, the dam and the, and the generation of power. So why the name uh, Little Rock? Is that because that's where the operation started years ago? Why you're in that district? Yeah, the Corps of Engineers split up their operations based on watersheds. So they looked around the country at the different watersheds, and they had the Arkansas River and the White River there. So the Arkansas really got most of the work done first. We went in there. We were dredging. We were clearing out snags along the river bottom for navigation. Uh, and so they set up the the office in Little Rock. And then from then on, then they started working on the White River. So, but the district office is still in Little Rock. So, uh, and they, they usually pick those major metropo metropolitan uh, cities to, to run off of. But in there, we've got our district commander, who's a colonel. So that's where the, we are part of the military. So they, uh, and we have a colonel that oversees this district. And then we have a general who oversees uh, all the districts within the Southwestern Division, and he's in Texas. And, uh, and then we have a three-star general in Washington, D.C. that looks over everything. So by virtue of you being a park ranger, does that make you part of the army? No, I'm a, I'm a civilian, yeah. So 98% of the Corps is civilian. Only 2% is military. Wow. So, um, I didn't know that. <laughs> for the civil works side, you know, all these civil works projects. We do have a military side, and that's about 90,000 enlisted soldiers uh, that go to war. And, and you've seen on TV where they blow up bombs with those things they drive around. That's the Corps of Engineers. Or uh, they build the forts or those bridges that they put out over... Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, channels that's mm -hmm. all Corps of Engineers the military side those are engineering battalions yeah. that go out but uh, the civilians can deploy as well so they ask for it's voluntary um, but we've had park rangers that go to Iraq and Afghanistan and can help with different well uh, we, we work with a lot of contracts so um, we have you know mowing contracts and uh, and um, contractors that would go in there with equipment and improve our our parks and stuff like that so we're used to managing contracts and uh, doing quality assurance for those contracts so they they usually call the the uh, the park rangers but other staff too to go kind of look over those contracts in, in some of those regions abroad we also respond to natural disasters so when there's a a hurricane or a flood or or a forest fire or something we deploy uh, for FEMA and go in and assess the area and work on debris removal or or what they call blue roofs uh, to put a temporary roof on top of somebody's house so we work with that too one of our big missions and then of course like I said water safety is a huge uh, huge issue we have up here so you know, hey, you got to get your life jacket on. You got to get a life jacket over here to stay afloat when you're in a boat. Where's your life jacket? There you go. Get it on. Never gonna get And then um, the history of the, the Corps of Engineers, which dates all the way back to 1775. The Corps of Engineers is older than the United States of America. That's something. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and. Um, 
The French helped us a lot with the uh, early development of our engineers. Uh, so um, that's kind of where we adopted, they think, uh, we adopted the castle. And there's a, a castle in France that looks very similar to that. Um, also, we started our military academy for engineering, which was West Point. So that was in New York. That, yep, that was our engineering academy for military, and they would become engineers. That was the first kind of degree they offered there, mm -hmm. and they would get those castles. Here's a West Point uh, cadet there. And you can see the castle on his hat there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we started that. And then we built the Pentagon, we built the Washington Monument, the U.S. Capitol, Library of Congress, you know, uh, Panama I had, Canal. <laughs> so, I, had, I had absolutely no idea. Yeah. So, yeah, we're involved in almost everything. Like I said, ASEANs is our motto, and that's let us try. Yeah. We'll, everybody else will fail, but we'll get the job done. <laughs> or move, get out of the way. <laughs> we'll do it for you. <laughs> well, kind of like the uh, Washington Monument, a private company started building it and couldn't get it done, so we finished it. Yeah, let us try. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, and then there's uh, an outside patio area here yes, too as yeah. well. So people come out here and again just sit and take in the lake and enjoy the beauty. So we're down on the lower level now. Yeah. So when you do, uh, for instance, I, I guess it would still be called a uh, uh, field trip for, for kids. Um, different age kids come here with their school to do tours. Do they make a day of it or do they just come in and like would they bring a sack lunch and, and have lunch here after their tours up? Or, it might. It kind of depends on how long they want to stay. We'll accommodate them uh, when they come out but you know we want to tell them our our story and why we're here and why the dam exists and how it functions because uh, you know even regular adults don't quite understand that sometimes so well, I've learned a ton already Ryan <laughs> yeah. I mean I've, yeah. I've learned more about the lake today yeah. just by visiting with you than I than I probably would have ever known so yeah so I, yeah our, our missions are flood risk management they don't call it flood control anymore because we can't control floods so we call it flood risk management <laughs> probably uh, more appropriate <laughs> hydropower recreation so yeah that is a big part of what we stewardship so protecting the, the lake and the water quality and the, the forest that's around and the migratory birds we have a pollinator garden here at the visitor center and then uh, we have a little bit of water supply beaver has a water supply mission we don't really have a big water supply mission here at Table Rock but we have a, a small one that we do we provide water to the hatchery for raising uh, trout oh yeah so that's that's our water supply mission. Um, my wife and I have been part of the shoreline cleanup efforts that the yes. local chambers and stuff do. Yeah. Uh, do you kind of like team up with those organizations that want to go out and help pick up litter and stuff around the shoreline? Yeah, we partner with the Ozark Water Watch, and they just picked a date in September. I think two weekends that they're going to do it in September mm -hmm. this year. 
and it just so happens that's around National Public Lands Day. So that's a, a great go. celebration of that as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, people, you know, they take different sections of the lake here at Table Rock and Beaver and Bull Shoals. So it's a coordinated effort between all of those. Mm -hmm. And they go out and, you know, help us clean up the lake. And, and we usually like to... They like to do that before the summer season so that it's ready for the public when they come out. But uh, We're kind of programmed as boaters to, you know, fish things out of the lake if we see something that flew out of somebody's boat, like a yeah. styrofoam cup or something like that. Yeah. We just grab it and put it in the boat and then haul it up to the house when we're done boating for the day. But yes. I just wonder how many tons of, of stuff that is pulled out of this lake during those efforts. You know, yeah, somebody, huge amount. I bet somebody they, has yes, a number on that. Yeah, but they I, keep track of records of that. But right. yeah, huge amount. Like I said, 750 miles of shoreline that you know we have to clean up uh, out there, and it really helps us all out. To yeah, make sure it's a you know great lake. You know, people are out here enjoying it, like the jet skiers that are going by right now, <laughs> and and, uh, and, and and just look how pretty the color of the water is and everything. Yes. It's just so nice. Yeah, and it's not too busy of a day right now, so not too choppy. Where, yeah. <laughs> yes, those summer weekends, it's real choppy out there. So rangers, you know, I, I am one ranger that, that is primarily in the visitor center dealing with all the people that come here. But we've got rangers that go out on the boat and, and do inspections of docks. They inspect mm -hmm. the shoreline. Uh, we've got rangers that go to our 12 campgrounds around the lake and, and manage those with our our hosts that are out there mm -hmm. in the campgrounds too and so it's a it's a large area we're we're number three in the country for revenue for the united states for from the corps of engineers so a huge amount of money is going to the, the u.s treasury because of table rock lake wow. so you know we're not just taking money from the from the taxpayer we're also uh providing a huge amount of income to oh, the yeah. to the country as well absolutely and uh you know funds from our lake go to help uh fund some of those other lakes that don't get as many visitors as we do table we get about 4.5 million visitors a year here so just to the to the lake yep well, and it's it's an excellent drive-to destination for places like Kansas City and St. Louis and Little Rock and yes. Tulsa and Terry and all that. You see a lot of tags from Iowa and Nebraska all over the place. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's, that's that's why I wanted to do a podcast about Table Rock Lake is because it, it almost seems endless what you can talk about when yeah. it comes to this lake. I've already had guests on to do uh, a podcast about fishing. And I had Sergeant Mike McClure with the Missouri uh, Highway Patrol. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he'd been in the boat patrol back before they merged the two uh, uh, several years ago. And, uh, and he, I always ask my guests uh, if they have a funny or interesting story to tell before we sign off. Do you, can you think of anything off the top of your head? Something funny that's happened to you as a park ranger? Well, somebody did ask if there was water on the other side of the dam. Oh really? <laughs> and Wasn't I had to it say adult? no. No, we keep it all here. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. said, "Here's your sign." <laughs> yeah, we get all sort of like, does the dam go all the way across the river? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We get all sorts of interesting questions. No uh, dumb oh, questions, yeah. just no. an opportunity to educate yeah, them exactly. On, exactly. on how it actually works. <laughs> so. Well, Ryan, I sure appreciate your time. This has been 
really enjoyable and yeah. I'd encourage people to, to stop in and, and take the tour. Can you tell us a little bit about the hours of operation and does, yeah. is it seasonal and things like that? Yeah, we're open uh, nine to four daily during the summer, during the spring and the fall. So from March to Memorial Day weekend and then Labor Day weekend to the end of November, we do close on Sundays and Mondays because it's a slower time. Mm -hmm. And then we close uh, for the season December through February. Uh, gives us an opportunity. Our summer rangers are, are, are gone at that point. So, uh, and our, our volunteers are hard to keep around during the winter. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them, like I said, travel. So they're snowbirds. They'll, they'll head down towards the south during the winter. The and, then, and then we see them migrate back up in the, in the spring. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, we're open uh, nine to four. It's free. There's no cost to come to the visitor center. Uh, we got the 22-minute film and all the exhibits. You know, you can spend as much time as you want uh, or as little as time as you want. But, yeah, stop in and say hi. Okay. And do you have a website that people can visit? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a... It's a doozy. Is it? Okay. They may just Google do uh, yeah, Dewey Short Visitor Center, maybe. If, yeah, um, the district website is where you can find all the information on all the lakes okay. in the region. And it's www.swl.usace.army.mil. And that'll, that'll direct you to the Little Rock District. Now, if you want to look at... Uh, Corps of Engineers nationwide, including us, you can go to corelakes.us. That's a little easier to digest. A little bit <laughs> easier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Well, thanks, Ryan. I yeah. sure appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Visit Table Rock, the official podcast of Table Rock Lake. We hope you'll subscribe and be sure to check out our website at visittablerock.com.